Good evening. Welcome to our worship service this evening. It's our own covenant. We're especially glad you're here. If you were a visitor, we're glad you can worship with us uh, to worship and, and to celebrate a death tonight, something very, very strange uh, to the eyes of the world. We do celebrate our Savior's death. God calls us to worship this evening from Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let's stand together and sing our first hymn together, Jesus Paid It All. Thank you. 
join me in prayer. Oh Lord God Almighty, we gather this evening in the name of Jesus Christ who has paid for our debt in full with his precious blood. Lord, we confess that there is no good in us whereby we can claim your grace for ourselves. And yet you have washed our sins as white as snow. Lord, we pray that as we come into your presence this evening, that your spirit would move among us. We pray that your spirit would move in us. We pray that you would give us a, a fresh picture of your cross, a fresh understanding of what it means for Jesus to walk that, that road of suffering to his own death and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Lord, we know that we can do nothing without your strength and without your power. And so we pray even now as we continue to worship you that you would help us to do so by your spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to sing.
Be seated. Our scripture reading for this evening is um, from Isaiah chapter 52 uh, and 53. Uh, one of the well-known suffering servant songs from the book of Isaiah. And we'll meditate on it in a few minutes and, and see what it has to say to us about Jesus. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll read it. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word.
I meant to say this earlier, but, but if you have a Bible, you should uh, open it to Isaiah 52 and 53, and uh, it would be helpful if you kept it open. Uh, we, in a moment, are going to read through some of the, the gospel narratives of Jesus' last few hours of life, uh, and yet, there's something about Isaiah 52 and 53 that is just the clearest explanation of what happens on Good Friday anywhere in Scripture, and, and that's... Uh, Quite a coincidence considering the fact that it was written 700 years prior to Good Friday. Uh, And so we're going to take a few minutes to work through this text and uh, meditate on the cross of Christ. Now leading up to this point in the book of Isaiah, God has announced through his prophet that there is a, a good news. There's an announcement coming of some sort of rescue and redemption and comfort for the nation of Israel. There's going to be something coming that is is newsworthy to the point of of bringing it out to the nations, something that is going to show God's matchless power in a way they have not seen, but it's going to be something completely opposite of what you would expect. It's something completely, completely opposite of what you would expect in a Savior. And Isaiah 52 and 53 are are filled with these unexpected things when it comes to God's salvation. The first of those is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was rejected by men. Now, there wasn't much about Jesus that was very impressive, outwardly speaking. Nothing outwardly attractive about him uh, that would draw people to him. In fact, we read that in chapter 53 of Isaiah, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was, uh, as one commentator put it, relatively obscure. You wouldn't recognize him walking down the street. There would be nothing for you to say, that's my savior. That's my warrior king. In fact, everyone that was supposed to recognize him, everyone that was supposed to have accepted him, and was waiting for his coming were the very ones who rejected him and turned him away. In fact, they killed him. To the point where, Isaiah says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Beaten to a bloody pulp, is what we might say. All of those who were supposed to be looking for him beat him to a bloody pulp on Good Friday. But beyond just this description of Jesus and his physical form, one of these things that we see in Isaiah is is really how blind people can be. The God of, of the universe who created all things had come into the flesh to visit his people and to deliver them out of out of their sin. Once and for all, they've been waiting for thousands and thousands of years, and they spurn him. They turn him away, they say, No thanks spurned by his own creations. And even by the time that Jesus reaches the cross, all of his disciples have run away. They've all completely scattered, terrified about what was going to happen. And that's all of our natural bent when it comes to God. We don't naturally turn to God on our own. Humanly speaking, we we are all bent to reject him because there is no earthly reason to come to him. And there's no earthly reason to come to this suffering servant and our Savior because he doesn't offer us what is naturally attractive to us. 
Which leads us to the, the next unexpected thing about our Savior and about this, this suffering servant. He was condemned by God. Now, Jesus was a, a, a man who experienced a lot of grief and sorrow. He experienced every effect of sin and the fall that you could imagine. Sickness, pain, weeping at the, the gravesite of his, his good friend. Rejection, weariness, tiredness, humiliation, all of it. Uh, and that's not something to be overlooked about our Savior. Uh, I was just thinking now that um, I just actually just turned 30 a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like my body is betraying me. Uh, I've still got a little tickle in my throat from a cold I had. Uh, I twisted my ankle playing basketball the other night. Um, my body is given up on me, apparently. Um, <laughs> There's something good and comforting to know that my Savior and my High Priest knows what that's like. Yes. He knows how to help when I feel my weakness. Now, again, that's not to be overlooked, and yet the greatest climax of Jesus' suffering is him being condemned on the cross, not by humans, but by God, his own Father forsaken and turned away by his own God. And so verses 4 through 6 in Isaiah 53 really are the center of this text and, um, and the highlight of it. So I'm going to read them again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And here, pay attention to the pronouns uh, in this section here. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, what Jesus' mission in coming to this earth was not merely to experience our sufferings, not merely to, to live a hard life. He doesn't just take upon himself the suffering and the brokenness that we experience. He takes upon himself our crimes, our crimes against God. Jesus took on a criminal record that we racked up and took it to the cross. Um, and I was thinking last night as we had our Monday Thursday service and we heard all about God's love, his eternal love, uh, and the love that we ought to have. You know, if I were the almighty God who created the entire universe for my glory and had all these little creations and, and, and I was spurned and rejected by them and rebelled against day in, day out, minute in, minute out by all these people, what would I do? What would you do? I can tell you that my sinful, selfish self, I would probably be thinking about zapping them all out of existence. Starting clean, starting over. And that's not what God does. In the greatest act of love in human history, he does not turn away from his creation, but he moves towards them. In their sin and in their rebellion, his love drives him to us, and he takes on 
the guilt that we owe. He took on the debt and the penalty that we deserved. He took on the consequences of those sins. He took on the death and the hell and the wrath that should have been poured out on us. And that is the greatest need of every human being in history. It's not just to be delivered from this body that is, is wasting away. Uh, it's not to have all the brokenness fixed. It's to have our sin taken care of and to be reconciled and to be at peace with God again. It's to have the criminal record wiped clean once and for all. And God so greatly loves that he sent his son to make that peace for us. And the son, Jesus Christ, loves so greatly that he willingly walked to the cross, not uttering a word of complaints, not uttering an ill word towards his crucifiers, but he silently, willingly walked out of love, knowing what he was going to face. And this is really the, the great tragedy of the cross, that the most innocent man in history was pronounced the most guilty. It is, it is truly love beyond anything that a human being could comprehend. And that leads to the last unexpected thing about our Savior and our servant in this text is that he is actually victorious in his death. And so lest we think that the, the rejection and the suffering and the condemnation and the death that he experiences means that he had, he had uh, been a disappointment or failed or, or this was maybe a consolation, uh, maybe this was plan B. No, this was plan A. Isaiah goes on uh, in, in verse 10 in chapter 53, and he makes it crystal clear. He, he kind of zooms out for a second, back to the throne room of God, and says, big picture here, this was the will of the Lord. The Lord delighted to crush him. The Lord delights to put him to grief. Because it's only by dying that Christ can have victory. There was no other way. Christ's goal was not to preserve his own life. Christ's goal was to make many righteous. His goal was to make peace, to make a way to God again. And he couldn't do that unless he was humiliated. He couldn't do that unless he suffered and died. He won by dying. And that means... That means Satan does not win by putting Jesus on the cross. The cross was not a loss for God and for Jesus until Sunday. Jesus dying on the cross is God's victory. Satan doesn't win on Friday nights. It's through Christ's death that he triumphs. It's through Christ's death that, uh, again, he says in verse 10 that, that uh, he gets to have his, his spiritual offspring for, for generation upon generation, people coming to worship him and come to the Father and be saved. It's, it's through death that he gives his offspring uh, eternal days, life forevermore. It's through his death that he divides the portion with the many and shares the spoils of his conquering with us. 
And it's through his death that he is high and lifted up and exalted. You notice this, this text is actually bookended by victory and triumph. We read it and we think, what tragedy that Jesus dies on a cross and, and is counted as a sinner. But really, it, it begins and it ends with triumph and with glory and with our Savior being high and lifted up and, and worshipped and praised like no one else. And so we glory in the tragedy of the cross. We glory in it because we don't have to worry about our own death anymore. We glory in it because we just sang before the throne of God above. We just sang, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because of Good Friday, you don't have to carry around the guilt of your sin anymore. You, you don't have to be burdened by the, the condemnation that faces you because of your rebellion. You don't need to worry about facing God. That, that burden is lifted off of us, and it's placed upon Jesus, and it's placed upon this cro- that cross. And your sin and your guilt are, are wiped out forevermore. You don't need to carry a burden anymore. What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be made right with God? How do I make him happy? How do I please him? How can I make up for for every mistake I have ever made? You don't worry about that. Jesus nailed it to the cross and died so that death itself might die. So come to Jesus tonight. Come to the cross tonight. Find that peace. Find that rest. You don't need to carry that weight of your sin anymore. Come to him. Give him all of your sin. Give him the burden. And let him put it to death on that cross. And take from him peace and rest and life evermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So today is a, uh, a day of, of grief and mourning and seemingly saying goodbye to our Savior. Lord, we know that it's not the end of the story. And we praise you for our debt being taken with him to the cross. Lord, may we live in that reality. May we find out more and more what it means to, to not labor under the guilt and the burden of our own sin. Lord, we pray that you would help us to to truly cast all of those burdens, all of those anxieties upon you. May we experience the joy that's coming for us in heaven. May we experience the peace, the supernatural peace that you give to your people. May we experience your grace every single day as we continue to Repent and confess our sins to you and find grace for forgiveness and grace for strength and power to live holy lives. Lord, may we rest fully upon Christ and put our own selfish, self-righteous ways behind us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a, a hymn of response, The Power of the Cross.
stay standing for a moment. We're going to transition now to, um, you can see in your bulletin, part of our service where we're going to alternate scripture readings and songs um, as we read through the the Good Friday text from the Gospels. Um, We're going to follow the various shadows and the sufferings that Jesus endured in his final hours of his life. Uh, Some of the songs that we sing will be congregational songs, some will be special music. Um, We'll give you an indication which comes when. But our first reading is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 to 25, at the Last Supper. When it was evening, 
he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so.
Then he used his money with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this come pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest to cut off his ear.
sitting outside in the courtyard and the servant girl came up to him and said you also were with Jesus the Galilean but he denied it before them all saying I do not know what you mean and when he went out to the entrance another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders this man was with Jesus of Nazareth and again he denied it with an oath I do not know the man after a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
And he went out and wept bitterly.
When Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they have testified against you? But he gave them no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barnabas, ask for Barnabas, and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to refuse? release for you. And they said, Barnabas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified.
one on the right, one on the left, and those who passed by the right, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Some of the bystanders hearing it 
said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went, to, went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Yeah. 
After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the real custom of Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Please stand for my